Hey friends, welcome back to the Pulpit to Pew podcast. Today, we're going to jump into the book of Romans real quick, and then I'm going to answer a question that I received, a very difficult question to answer, but I'm going to answer it. Let's get started. Hello again, friends. Welcome back to day two, no, 341 in our journey through the Bible, we are, we're coming to the end. We're really, it, 341, I mean, we've, we don't have very long left. We're only in Romans. So you, you would think, wow, we still got a lot to cover, but the New Testament is going to fly by. So buckle up, stay focused, and dig in as you get into the New Testament. It's going to be wonderful. But as I mentioned, we are now today getting into the book of Romans, I've taught through Romans on this podcast. Matter of fact, you could probably go back to and throughout these these podcasts if you're a new listener, and there are some new listeners. If you want to go back into the history, you could find an entire Roman series that we did in our adult Bible study section. You know, it's kind of two sections of this podcast. There's this, what I'm doing right now, where we're discussing whatever. This year, it's been our journey through the Bible. Next year, we'll see how it goes. But... Then there's the adult Bible study where I'm actually in a class teaching a recording and put it on this podcast. So I say that just because you regular listeners, you know that, but there has been some new listeners and I was thinking about that the other day. I'm like, they may be like, what is going on here? Well, I do take it into my class and, and record the lesson and then put it on the podcast on Sundays. So we have covered the book of Romans and you can go back and try to find that. If you struggle, let me know. But uh, I will say this about Romans. As you're going to be reading through it, it is one of my favorite books to study and to teach. It is a book about doctrine. If you want to get more confident in sharing the gospel with people, if you want to get more confident in the in how uh, what takes place at salvation, what takes place after salvation, the book of Romans is the book to study. And I gave my outline. It feels like so many times when I was teaching through it recently, but. You know, the first three chapters are dealing with the sin, sin of the Gentiles, sin of the Jews, sin of the the world, and then chapters four, the end of three, four and five, are dealing with salvation. So you got sin, then you deal with salvation, and then six, seven, and eight are dealing with sanctification. That's life after you're saved as a Christian, and then uh, nine, ten, and eleven are some difficult chapters, but showing the sovereignty of God. And you got 12 and 13, I think 14 maybe, and 15 maybe even, showing the service, how we serve the Lord in chapters 12, giving uh, the gifts of the Spirit and talking about some very practical truths. I'd be talking about surrendering our lives to the Lord. So Romans, as you're going to go through this, some of you went through it in our teaching, you heard it on the podcast, but just soak up the, the doctrine from this book. It is such a wonderful book, and so I know you're going to enjoy that. And uh, pay attention just as you go through those to those sections. I'm not going to go back through it again, but pay attention to where he's dealing with sin, and then he moves into salvation, and then he moves into sanctification. You don't have to call it that while you're reading. You may say the Christian life or whatever, but just pay attention to those transitions as you're reading through the book of Romans. All right, I got a question today that I'm going to try to cover. Um and I almost didn't because it is a very it's a it's a it's a tricky question, 
And uh, I was like, eh, do, am I as prepared as I want to be to answer this question? And, and part of it is, I can give you the answer to this question that I was taught at Bible college. And it's not that the, I'm not saying anything negative about the Bible college, but I don't know if that's the answer I believe now. Probably the same conclusion, but I don't know if I would get there the same way. But let's get into the question. It's a part A and part B, two separate things. The first part of the question is from where we recently read, is from one of our readers, one of our listeners, and uh, and readers through in the journey. But it, they said they asked about the gift of tongues because they this individual who I know really close, my daughter, but. Uh, they, they, they understand about the gift of tongues and how uh, I've always taught it from the book of Acts when we study that. But in 1 Corinthians 14, he references many times, or it seems like he references many times, that phrase unknown tongue. Then he gives some structure for how a service is supposed to go if you have tongues in a service. And so... Should we today, as a church, be speaking in tongues? Is that something we should be looking forward to? Uh, what was going on with that? So let's get to that part of the question first. All right, the first part of the answer to this is, really, it never does say unknown tongue. Now you're going to be like, ah, nope, and you're flipping through your Bibles right now. You're flying through your Bibles, and you're like, I see the word unknown. I see it. But I would ask you this. Look at your Bible again. Does your word unknown in the Bible look like the word right next to it? Tongue. The answer is no. It's italicized. What does italicized mean? Whenever you're reading the Bible and you see one italicized in the New Testament, it means that word was not in the original Greek. It was added by the translators. Translators would often add words. Whenever you're translating from one language to another language, a lot of times you have to, there's words, it doesn't line up. It's not like the, and you just say the word for the, and uh, man, then you say the word for man. Sometimes like one Greek word is like three English words. And so sometimes you have to add a filler word to try to make it make sense. In this case, the translators tried to do that with the word unknown. But it's really just a language. The word tongue means languages. And so it's not an unknown like you would maybe see in a modern charismatic church where someone is just babbling off of different things. It's a language that's being spoken. And when we study the book of Acts in early chapters of chapter 2, we talk about how Peter got up and and preached in Aramaic and they understood him. He spoke in a language, a tongue. That's the Greek word, tongue, language. He spoke in a language, and they understood him in another language. The Grecians could understand him in the Grecian language, even though he was speaking in Aramaic. And so the gift of tongues was taking place in that moment. There were at least three miraculous gifts for the early church. The miraculous gifts were given as a sign to the Jews to authenticate what God was doing in the early church. You got to remember the church was just starting. And then number two, you got to remember this. They didn't have the completed Bible. So I like what one guy said. I don't know if I could find it fast enough in my notes as I'm looking, but 
I remember one man said, it's not like today when we go to church, tonight I'm going to be teaching in my church. And one of my first lines when I get up to there is take your Bible and turn to the book of Job. That's what I'm going to say tonight. Paul, when he would go to the church of Corinth, isn't going to say, take your Bibles and turn to because they didn't have a Bible back then. So the gift of prophecy was important. And, and, and so there was the miraculous gift of gift of tongues and there was the gift of knowledge, it says. And so there were these different gifts that were given in an early time. But a lot of people reference and go back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. I just wrote about that over at bradmcclure.org. Make sure you go over there to sign up. But I just wrote about this chapter, but I, mainly the first four verses. But one verse I did not cover is verse 8, which says, Charity or love never faileth. And it's in a, it's in a chapter talking about love. And he says, love's never going to fail. It's always going to be there. It's never going to go away love, that's the true type of love. He's describing what true love is. And so he says, love will never fail. It'll never fade away. It'll never vanish. It'll never be gone. But then Paul's going to use an example, just like we preachers do sometimes or teachers. It's like, I want to show you what I mean that love will never fail. And I'm going to find something that's very important to you. So he says this, where there be prophecies. Ooh, prophecy was a big gift. Man, that was a big time. They were foretelling what was going to come in that time, because there was no Bible. So prophecy says they shall fail. Whoa. The word fail doesn't mean like they're not going to come true. It means they're going to be abolished. They're going to, it's going to end. There's going to come a time when there's no more need for the prophecies. It says, whether there be tongues, they shall cease. There's going to come a time, tongues to them. Wow, that was a cool thing that happened back in Pentecost, speaking in this different language. He says, there's going to come a time when it's no longer needed. It's going to cease where there be knowledge, it shall vanish. Knowledge is a, is a big deal. Everybody likes that, but there's going to come a time when it's, it fades away. So what is that? Now, where a lot of the controversy comes in, and then I got to get back to chapter 14, because it says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. There's the controversy. What does it mean when that which is perfect is come than that which is in part? There's a section of Bible believers that say that that word perfect is referring to the Bible. And when the word perfect means complete. And when the Bible is complete, there's no longer a need for speaking in tongues. There's no longer a need of... of uh, the gift of prophecy because we have the word of God. So you're not foretelling what's going to happen. God's not inspiring men to talk about like, like John talking about the book of revelation. And so all of that makes sense. And all of that is really good. But I, that's how I've been taught, but I don't know that we can say 100% that that's what he's referring to is the Bible. Others say, that he's referring to when that which is complete, he's referring to Jesus. And that when Jesus has come, that he is the perfect one. Uh, and it could be, but Jesus has already come. He's already been resurrected at this point when this is written. And yet they're still talking, and Paul's still talking like that, that tongues could be going on in their church, in the church of Corinth. So I don't know that it's that. 
And then in the other sense, some say that it's when we are in heaven and we have our complete glorified body, and there's no more need for that. So let me, this is why I almost did not do this, cover this today. Because what is my answer on that? My answer is I like the answer of the Bible thing because it makes for good doctrine. But I don't really know if that's the case. I do think that, let me tell you an interesting story. I was sitting down with Evangelist Rick Flanders. Some of you know Evangelist Rick Flanders. Some of you don't. Highly respected evangelist. Now, his health is very bad right now. I think he's in a wheelchair. But I had some opportunities early on in my ministry to be able to sit down and eat with him. He would come. He came a couple times to a church that I was assistant pastor at. I got to drive him around. I got to talk to him. He's a man of wisdom. He's a man who who has really, in many ways, changed my life when it comes to talking about sanctification by faith, living the Christian life. He wrote a good book called Back to Normal, talking about revival. He's a man who has studied the history of revival. And I remember sitting across the table from him and talking one day, and I brought up the subject of tongues. And we're talking about the subject of them ceasing. And he goes, here's what he said to me, okay? So don't write in negative things to me. Here's what he said. He goes, I don't know if I would necessarily say they have ceased. Well, that caught my attention. I think we're sitting a big boy and that caught my attention and he said i don't know that i necessarily say they ceased he said i don't think that the church like the pentecost church charismatic church are doing anything right they go totally opposed to what it says he said i just don't think that we need it anymore he would maybe go back to saying because of the bible but he said this he goes i just think i wouldn't say it ceased because i wouldn't want to say that god couldn't do it again today because he said if, and he maybe had heard us some stories, but he said, if I was preaching in, and I'm just going to make up, I don't remember where he said, but Honduras, because I've been to there and I have preached in Honduras and I did not speak Spanish. But let's say he said, if I was speaking in Honduras and God wanted that message to be clear to them, but I cannot speak and I don't have an interpreter like an interpreter we use today. If God wanted to take my English words and change them for them to understand it in Spanish, God could still do that. He's not bound by saying I had to cease that gift. I can no longer do it. God could still do it. And that was the main argument that he was making, that God could still do it if he wanted. So how does that help? It probably doesn't. But what I'm saying is this. Tongues was a sign gift back then to authenticate because they did not have the Bible. That we do know is true. And, and to authenticate the message, to authenticate the church. What we know about this is Paul was talking to the church at Corinth about it. But if you read every other epistle, Church of Ephesus, Church of Colossae, Galatia, he, his instructions to young pastors, Timothy and Titus, his instructions, never does he mention speaking in tongues. I use never strong. I should have cross-referenced that. But I'm telling you from reading the Bible, I don't remember him ever speaking about tongues outside of this church of Corinth. So it's not something that you're like, oh, we could see it happening consistently in every church in this after Jesus Christ. No, you don't see it at all. You don't see it mentioned at all. It's gone. So could Jesus do it? Yes, still today. Is it still something that's supposed to be practiced in the church today? 
I don't believe so. And what he was really referencing in the church of Corinth here in chapter 14, to get back to chapter 14, is there was a lot of confusion, a lot of chaos. They didn't have a preacher getting up saying, tearing your Bibles to this. They had some people prophesying, they had some people trying to teach, some people trying to speak in a tongue. And it was getting so confusing that it was hindering the work that God was doing. As a matter of fact, there's a verse. Where's that verse? I think it's verse 23. Let me read this. He says, if therefore the whole church be come together into one place and all speak with tongues and there come those that are unlearned or unbelievers, this is the focus of this. Paul's saying, listen, you guys are so focused on tongues, the church of Corinth, that's not even important. It's not even anything to be striving for. Prophecy or preaching is another word for that word prophecy he's using. Preaching is what we should be focused on. But he said, okay, if you guys are all gathered together in your church, and people come in that are unlearned or they're not saved, they're unbelievers. What will they say when they hear all of this tongues? He goes, they're going to say, you're mad, you're crazy. That's Paul talking. And that's what we hear people saying today when they go into some of these churches. Paul said, they're going to say, you're crazy. It was out of control in this church. There was so much confusion going on in this church. And so Paul was saying, this shouldn't be. It's got to stop. So the word tongue, first of all, is the word language. Second of all, the word unknown was just added in there. It's why it's italicized. So I don't believe it was gibber jabber. I believe if there's no one to interpret, if there's no need, like if, if I, we go into Faith Baptist Church tonight, if, if I went into Faith Baptist Church tonight and I tried to speak, preach this message in Spanish, I don't know Spanish, Nobody in my congregation is going to know what I'm saying, but everyone speaks English. I don't need to speak in Spanish. And so it would be foolish for me to try to do it. It would be confusing for me to try to do it. Just speak in the language that they know. So if there's no one there to interpret, there's no need to do that. Now, I understand. I'm not ignorant of it. I understand that some people want to say that this is an unknown language, that this is a special angelic type of prayer that you can pray to God. I don't believe any of that is true. The only bit of argument that I would say, maybe there's something more to what I'm saying today is that Paul said, this is a very selfish gift. So I don't see that it being selfish if I'm speaking in a way that's going to help somebody else. So there, there may be a second layer to this gift of tongues, but even Paul said to use it in a church setting without everything right is brings confusion and it's selfish. He said, seek after preaching, seek after prophecy. So I understand this is, I'm just touching a surface on this for many, several of you, but, um, and, and you can maybe to whet your appetite, you can dig deeper, but I, I do not believe that in our American churches today, the gift of tongues is what God is telling us to do because I don't see it anywhere else. As I state the new Testament, I don't see it accurately being what's happened in the book of acts and what's going on here. So that would be my main thing. Not going to take as long on the second one, but the second one she asked about, uh, and said, uh, Bible mentioned about women keeping silent in the church. What's that all about? And it does. As I said, that church, there was some confusion going on. And not only were you got people trying to do this, this tongues thing, and it was adding confusion, but if you study, and I was reading on it some more here today, it sounds like there was some women in the church that were standing up and causing some problems. They were... They were asking questions, which you say, well, I'm not allowed to ask a question. You, you can ask questions. But they were asking questions with, to, with contention, it seems like. They were arguing. 
They were becoming argumentative and fighting and debating and standing up and being and adding confusion to a service. And Paul was saying, hey, this stuff shouldn't be. If you have some questions that you want to debate, you, you can go home and ask your husband. Now, some people get offended by this, especially in our modern culture, because um, it, the Bible to some people seems outdated because the Bible does say that pastors, there's a qualification. And part of the, if you want to be a pastor, you have to be a man. That's just what God has established. It doesn't mean that God doesn't care about women. doesn't mean that women don't have abilities or talents. It just means that God, that's what God has set up. And that's what God has established. He talked about over in 1 Corinthians that the wives are to submit themselves to the husbands. doesn't mean husbands rule. There's a lot of husbands that take advantage of that. I'm always going to preface everything I say. Husbands need to love. Husbands are also told, he says, submit one to another. But there is an order of leadership in the home. God established that from Adam and Eve, that the man is to be the head of that home, and then the wife is to submit to her husband. That's in the children to the parents. This is the order that God has set up. And in that church... There were those that were usurping, that's a big word, that authority. They were, they were causing confusion in the church and not glorifying God in that church. And so God, and Paul wrote to him strongly to say, stop, be silent. Now, two chap- or a few chapters ago in chapter 11, he had talked about women praying in the church and exhorting in the church. So he's, it's not like this is, you know, I can just see someone right now saying, all right, fine. I won't say a word of my, I'll walk in there, my arms crossed, not say a word. Okay. There may be something deeper going on spiritually in your heart than at that point. Because Paul is not saying women can't do anything. Women are a gift to the church. Our church here, Faith Baptist Church, we have a lot of women serving. And a lot of times women have to serve because of the lack of maturity and the lack of spiritualness of the men. It's sad. Very sad. It's been a conversation that when I was pastor, we had many times, but, um, but the idea is this, that there was some confusion going on, some women trying to take some authority, trying to cause some problems. And so Paul wrote to that specific church and he said, this needs to stop. And so Paul was dealing with a church that as I wrote on, uh, the email that went out on Monday, this church was a mess. They had a lot of problems. And one of them was the tongues problem. One of them was the the women in the church were causing some problems. There's a lot of guys causing problems in the church as well, but Paul called them all out. And that's what he was doing here. So, well, 22 minutes. I went long on today's podcast. So I appreciate you following along in this little bit of study. I know that for some of you out there, you're going to be like, oh, I'm an expert on this. And you didn't go very deep on it. I know I, I didn't. I gave you some answers. Go and research it. Go and study it. It fits with the purpose of this podcast. I want you to study the Bible. So if that whetted your appetite, get out and do some study. But make sure everything you read, you know, you come back to, well, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? That's why I said to you earlier, I was like, hey, here's what I've been taught at college. And I see that angle, but I do you know, the one, I don't didn't have a ton of Bible to say that that word perfect means the Bible. It could. I don't have a ton of Bible to say that. But the other, what's the other alternatives? We don't have a ton of Bible to s- explain everything in that. So um, you just got to make sure that you're always coming back to what does the Bible say. So 
Hey, thanks for listening to this week's podcast. A little bit longer. We'll be back on Sunday with some more in the book of Exodus. If you have any questions, maybe you want to write in a question. I'm not saying I'm going to get to it immediately. And I mean, I'll do some, I want to do a little bit of research on it. But if you have a question you want to write in, don't hesitate to, to get a hold of me. Go to bradmcclure.org. You'll see my, sign up for the email newsletter. You'll find my email there. And I'll be, you'll be getting an email from me and you can respond with a question. All right. Have a wonderful week.